listening to a Bible study Wednesday, March the 27th in the year of our Lord 2019. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and as is our custom on Wednesdays for a number of months, we're doing a Bible study, and we're inviting congregations to meet at 9.30, maybe small groups at the congregation, or you can even do it in your home, invite a neighbor over, etc. Listen to me from 9.30 to 10, and then you would talk among yourselves for about a half hour of what we said. This week, we're going to be looking at 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings 17. And as I indicated this week, we're trying to help us understand how to reach out to the nuns. And we have to say this every time. We don't mean N-U-N-S. We mean N-O-N-E-S. These are people, when they're asked, what denomination do you belong to? They say, none. They may have belonged to a denomination, but they fell away from the church for various reasons. Yesterday, Pastor Mark Smith questioned whether that was a term used. All you need to do is go to the Internet, under Google, type in N-O-N-E-S, and you'll find lots of articles about the nuns. Now, one of them was saying we should stop calling them nuns because we're giving the impression that there aren't in, they are not interested in religious thinking. And a lot of nuns still will talk in religious thoughts, but they're just not affiliated with a specific denomination anymore. So that's what we mean by the word nuns. And there are numerous reasons why these people have left the church. Uh, One of them is they don't believe in God anymore. Uh, Another is they don't like religious organizations. Another is they don't like religious doctrine. Another is they particularly, and I think this is one of the main ones, they don't like the church's stand on social or political issues which they would consider like abortion, homosexuality, etc. So for whatever reason, the point I want to make in this Bible study is nuns are not a creation of the 21st century. No, they have existed in every age. Therefore, there are numerous passages in the Bible where we end up with a nun. And we're going to be looking at that today in 1 Kings chapter 17. God is very angry at King Ahab and his wife Jezebel, and he sends a drought for a number of years in order to help them to understand that apart from God, guess what? They cannot continue to exist as they used to. But Elijah, who is the prophet of God, he knows that Ahab is after him. So God tells him to depart from where he's at and hide himself by the book Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. Now, isn't that interesting? God 
even has control over the birds. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. Boy, is that ever faith. If I heard a voice tell me, you know, we're going to have a famine, but go down to the Mississippi and I'll give you fresh water and we'll also send some deer to give you some food. Boy, I I don't know if I would go. But he did. He went and lived by the brook Cherith, that is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning. This is verse 6. And bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. But after a while, the brook dried up because, of course, there was a drought going on. So it's really with verse 8 that we want to talk about the Bible study. The word of the Lord came to him again, and he told him to rise, go to Seraphath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. Now, isn't that interesting? In the previous verses, he commanded birds to feed him. Now he's moving a widow to feed him. Now, we don't know if this widow had a vision from God or a special dream or just was motivated to help out the neighbor. But at any rate, he arose and goes to Seraphath. By the way, you're going to hear about this if you're doing the three-year readings where it talks about Jesus going to Nazareth and the people hate him. In fact, um, it actually was the Sunday school lesson I did on issues, etc. yesterday. So if you turn to that, you can go issuesetc.org and then listen to yesterday's broadcast. The people were real angry with Jesus because... Not only would he not do any miracles in his own hometown of Nazareth, like he had done at Capernaum, but then he talks about the miracles done by Elijah with this Gentile woman from Zarephath, and also Elisha with that Gentile enemy of Israel, Naaman, who had leprosy. So they get so mad at him, they want to throw him off a cliff. But somehow he just walks through them and escapes. Well, anyway, let's get back to Elijah. When he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And that may not be unusual because in, in those days, that what a thought to have been an odd place to gather firewood, but the intended meaning could be stocks that was used on threshing floors and they were often near the city gate. So it was a way of being able to make a fire. And he calls to her and says, bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. Now listen to verse 12. And she says, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks, and I may go in and prepare for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. So she knew that she had no more food, no more way to make the food after that. And Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said. But first, make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. 
and afterward make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent. In other words, it's not going to be empty. And the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. Now, imagine you don't know Elijah from anybody else. He comes to her, says that. I find verse 15 interesting. And she went and did as Elijah said. Just went and did it. See, this is how the Lord commanded her. He motivated her for whatever reason, maybe gave her a message. It's not mentioned. And she went and did what seems to be quite ridiculous. Her son's about to die, but she uses the flour that is left in the oil to make a cake for this stranger. Boy. And then she and her household ate for many days because neither the jar of flour nor the jug of oil became empty. And verse 16 ends, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. Now, here was a woman who therefore believed the word of God as spoken by Elijah. So we would say she's a believer. Listen to verse 30, uh, I'm sorry, verse 17. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. In other words, he died. And she said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? See, she recognizes him to be a prophet of God. You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. We now have the beginnings of a nun. Because of the death of her son, knowing that she's talking to a prophet, and in those days the prophets often would speak law uh, against the people because of their disobedience. And isn't that interesting? You have brought my sin to my remembrance. Now, that doesn't mean anything to do with the memory. It has to do with what God says in Jeremiah and Hebrews, that he will no longer remember our sins. The word remember there means hold us accountable. And what she is saying to Elijah is, as a prophet of God, it's clear that God is holding me accountable for my sin. And that is why my son has died. This is a very typical reason why nuns end up leaving the church. Because something happens in their life that they cannot understand. Particularly if they've grown up in a church where God is said to be loving and all-powerful, how can he allow these things to happen? I think I mentioned to you an email I received where a young woman no longer believes in God because her son got leukemia. And, of course, she blames God. And so she's going to get even with God. 
she no longer believes in him. She's an atheist. And if you take a close look at many of the reasons why nuns end up leaving the organizational church, some of them are valid reasons. For example, if I was attending a church where it was saying, you can be sure you're going to get to heaven as long as you are a really good Samaritan. And they use the story of the good Samaritan to tell us how to get to heaven. I'd leave that church. Because that's nothing but a bunch of nonsensical legalism telling us that heaven is our home because of the deeds that we do. So sometimes if you're in a church that isn't preaching proper doctrine, you'll leave it. But a lot of them are leaving because proper doctrine is being taught. Like they may have a friend who maybe is married and had a gay marriage. And here the church is speaking out against that as a sin deserving of eternal condemnation. And, and they don't agree with the church because it's their friend. And they can't imagine that God would send such a person to hell simply because he married somebody of the same gender. So there are many reasons why nuns come about, but they're always, in my view, due to some kind of experience they've had where they reject what the church is teaching. Now, sometimes it's because it's a terrible pastor. Uh, look at the problem that the Roman Catholic Church is having with priests. Uh, many of them we're finding out now who were fooling around with little children as homosexuals. So there's no doubt that you cannot do a sin without severe consequences taking place. So this woman no longer now appreciates the God of Elijah. So what does Elijah do? This is going to be helpful to us because we all know somebody who has become a nun. Maybe they were baptized, confirmed in the church, and then after a while they left the church. By the way, the good news is that a percentage of those will return to the church when they get married and have children. And so we kind of wait for that. But anyway, Elijah says to her, give me your son. Now, why is he taking the son? Does he know that he's going to raise him from the dead? Has he had a message from God? No. Because the next verse is, he took him from her arms, carrying him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? Now, that's a very important statement. Because the word calamity doesn't mean have you brought justice, getting even with her with her sins. No, calamity is just something bad that happens. Not long ago, we had a reading from the Bible about the Galileans who were killed by Pilate. And Jesus says, do you think those Galileans were worse sinners than other Galileans? No, he says. And you likewise will perish unless you repent. And how about that Tower of Siloam that fell on Jews? Is it because they were worse sinners? No. 
And, and so a calamity occurs even to strong believers, weak believers, and no believers. When the tsunami hit, uh, many of them believed in karma because of being Buddhist and such. And they kept asking, what did we do to deserve this? Well, frankly, as we confess in our confessions, we deserve nothing but temporal and eternal punishment. And so we shouldn't be surprised if a calamity strikes us. What would be a surprise if we came to the conclusion that this shows that God doesn't love us, that he doesn't care for us, that he's getting even with us for our sin or whatever. No. There can be consequences of certain sins. If you are drunk and you're driving a car and you hit a person, well, that's a consequence of your sin. But it doesn't mean that you're going to go to hell if you're a believer. So even Elijah isn't sure what is going to happen. Now, this is very important because we, therefore, when we witness to others who are nuns, we are not sure how they're going to respond. What we do is what we feel is necessary. And in our situation, because we are not raising people from the dead, we would be giving them a message of the kerygma, the gospel, the foundation, the cornerstone, namely Jesus, about him. And if I was talking to a nun who said, you know, my husband died from cancer, I don't believe in God anymore, I would tell her about Lazarus being raised from the dead by Jesus, and her husband, as a believer, will also again be raised from the dead, and she will be with him. What happens then is Elijah stretches himself out upon the child three times. Is that a reference to the Trinity? Well, he says, O Lord, and says, My God, let this child's life come into him again. Verse 22, And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child came into him again. That shows that he had died. And he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. Now remember, she has now become a nun, N-O-N-E. She no longer believes in the God of Elijah. And then she sees her child. And Elijah says, see, your son lives. And the woman says to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. Every pastor can tell you examples of individuals who either came to adult instruction or were having conversations, did not believe in the Bible, and after time, for some reason, the Holy Spirit, because of the conversations that were being heard, the gospel being heard again and again and again, created faith in the heart, and they now believe the unbelievable. That is a gift from the Holy Spirit. This is a beautiful story to help us with the nuns that we meet. 
We may not be able to raise their children from the dead if they died from a disease, but we can talk about Jesus who raises and rose people from the dead. We can talk about Jesus who has a smiling face toward us because he died on the cross. Uh, How do you know he's got a smiling face? Well, in Hebrews, it says on his way to the cross, for the joy that was set before him. I mean, how many people think that Jesus was joyous on the way to the cross? And that's hard to understand if you think of joy as an emotion. But it's an attitude. For example, who hasn't had surgery to relieve a pain? Uh, Maybe you had a car accident, broke your arm. And as you go into the surgery, you're fearful, but you're also joyous. You're joyous that God has provided a way to not only halt the pain, but to heal the injury. So, what's the bottom line here? When we run into a nun, the first thing we need to do is listen and see where their particular pain is. Maybe it's a loved one who came down with a disease. Maybe they lost their job. Maybe their house foreclosed. Maybe they don't have enough money. Uh, Maybe they're hungry. Uh, Maybe they don't like the church I just finished talking to one of our listeners uh, yesterday. I was on the line with him. And he was talking about he had moved, so he went to another Lutheran church, Missouri Synod. But, and he wouldn't explain it to me, he got involved in the politics of the church. I can only imagine there was some issue or other that the pastor was disagreeing with the church members or something along that line. And he said, I will never do that again. And it so upset the family that they moved to another church, another Lutheran church, Missouri Synod, where they're much more comfortable in hearing the word of God and being fed by it rather than dealing with the politics of the church. Now, I I don't mind the politics of the church. There are churches who have almost split because they can't decide the color of the rug that they're going to put in the church. Should it be red, referring to the blood of Christ? Should it be white, referring to our righteousness? Should it be, who knows, green, namely reminding us of all the growth that occurs in the church? No. Uh, When I left my congregation after 28 years, they repainted the doors uh, on the front and didn't bother me a bit. Because that's nothing to argue about. They probably need to paint anyway, and they just chose a different color. That's fine. So many of the arguments within the church are just the work of the devil. And we have to just get over them. This is why in our denomination, we have what's called a circuit counselor who's kind of over six or seven congregations to help them through these problems, or what's called a district president who will come in and deal with that. And good counselors, good district presidents do a good job in coming in, resolving the problems. What are they looking at? They're looking at the pain that's happening in the congregation. And isn't this interesting? God permitted the child to die 
in order to restore the faith in the woman. That's why God allows suffering. It's his way of waking us up to our need for him. Therefore, when you meet a nun, the first thing you do, what's the pain that has caused them to leave the church? Then think of the promises that overcome that pain, where God will never leave them, never send them a, a trial or a temptation more than they can endure, etc., etc. That's today's lesson about how to reach out to nuns because God loves them as much as he loves believers. On the next Law and Gospel tomorrow, Rumination Thursday with Wes Reimnitz, you've heard the word people are using to describe themselves as progressive. What does that mean? Does it mean they're real conservative or real liberal or what? We're going to be taking an article written by a Methodist explaining what that term progressive really refers to. And I think you'll be surprised. Till tomorrow, I'm Tom Baker. God bless. Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 930 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.